Welcome to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. Happy Eclipse Day. I'm Pete Sampson with Tim Priester and Tim O'Malley. We saw about 90 minutes, two hours of open practice on Sunday in the stadium. Um, so did about 7,000 people. Um, kind of a soft opening for the Campus Crossroads Project. And I don't, I mean, I don't know how you guys felt coming away with it a day after, but I think I walked out of the stadium thinking kind of had a good handle on what this team was about going in and I came out feeling pretty much the same way I don't I don't think there was a whole lot that I saw yesterday that was gonna sway me one way or the other about just sort of how I feel about this team I agree a red shirt on Brandon Wimbush signify no contact takes away what he said was 30 percent of his was he'd say 30 percent of the running game or 30 percent of his game run game run game. game it takes away a lot from him he's a playmaker um and I believe <laughs> I agree with what Pete said on Instant Analysis and Brian Kelly kind of noted prior, it, it's going to help Prater Wimbush to get hit because they're going to have to try to catch him to hit him. And I think that, Tim, you've been talking about it, Brandon Wimbush is key to this running game, the run pass option, because there is no run option if Brandon Wimbush yeah, is allowed no, to run there, when he takes no, a handoff. There's no RPO <laughs> without the R, and the R belongs to Wimbush in those plays. And that, I mean, that kid, if there's anybody that needs a the games to start, it's Brandon Wimbush. I believe he's ready. His accuracy is there. There's no doubt about it. But as far as the the scrimmage itself, you know, when you go into these or like a blue-gold game, I always want to see two things. One is that the perceived weaknesses of the team make a move towards strengths and that the strengths still show enough for you to remain optimistic. And I think that that's, that's how I looked at yesterday. Still don't like the safety play. Um, you know, why is the offensive line giving up so many sacks or near sacks? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure about that. Everything can't be exactly the way you want it when you're going against when it's you versus you. But I thought there were a lot of positives that came out of it. I still, you know, I point to the defense after the 14-play, 85-yard drive to start. There were no touchdowns in the next six drives. Now, one of them, we all agree, probably would have been yeah. a 54-yard <laughs> touchdown. And, you know, you see the replay, and there's, um, uh, is it Watkins or Vaughn? It's Vaughn and, uh, and Stud still chasing. So, I, you know, I, I mean, I think I agree with you, Tim. You talked about the backup defensive lineman being freshman. You'd like it to be Mike and Du Treadway and Tiasam. Tiasam has flashed occasionally, but there's a reason why he's third team. And so you have those freshman backups, and that's a concern. But uh, rarely do you come out of a scrimmage feeling good about most things, kind of the way Brian Kelly encapsulated it, and I agreed with that. I don't think they're very physical, and I think it's yeah, I think it's hard to be completely physical and still preserve life of your teammates. You know, it's is Niles Morgan really going to look to light up Josh Adams in the hole in a short yardage situation there? You just no. can't play that way. So you're not going to see the running game that we have been promised and we have talked about and we have surmised is going to be there. It's just not the way the game is played. This late stage of August scrimmage, it's their last big one. It's The one we see on Thursday is going to be nothing like this. That's kind of the beginning of Temple right. Prep, actually. It, it, you want to see it, but it's not going to happen. And also, what are they going to really show? I mean, you could have just had Temple and Georgia scouts. Could have been half the people in those stands. Well, the RPO, the the RPO part of it is a significant yeah, part, part of, of that offense. Right. So, you, can, you know, we didn't see... Double tight end on first and ten. Did we? I mean, I, maybe I missed that. I haven't. I didn't see a replay sure. of it. We saw a bunch. We of saw. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we saw three tight ends and short yardage and goal line. The the short yardage defense was outstanding. They had four 
stops of third and two or fourth and one, or I think there was a third and three in there. St. Brown made an interesting comment. He just said, uh, it's not that I'm not a good practice player. It's that I'm better in games because the other team doesn't know what I'm doing. That these guys know exactly <laughs> where I'm going point. every time I go somewhere. You know, they just yeah. literally know exactly what we're running. And I was thinking to myself, I'm not sure that's really how it works. But, hey, he is a good player in games. And he seems pretty good to me when they put so, him out there in practice. Only elevating my concern about the secondary. <laughs> yeah. That's actually true. Yes. No, he said that he's, they know what I'm doing. I'm just a, I'm a, I'm better in games. But I think he was just trying to explain why he played about a quarter. He played a quarter because they're preserving him. It's, yeah, it's absolutely. Along with Cam Smith, although we would all kind of like to see him a little bit I'd more. I'd like to see him do more than just yeah. be told that he's... Well, they, yeah, they, they threw underneath to him, so he didn't yeah. get a get a chance to do a whole lot. But, you know, the chemistry between Wimbush and St. Brown is very good. It was really good to see Chase Claypool step forward. He took a couple shots. One from Julian Love after he beat Julian Love. I guess you're allowed to hit him, huh? Yeah, <laughs> I guess. the one guy getting hit He got there. drilled a couple times, and, and it, it took him a while to get up. You know, I look at the offensive line, and I don't... A lot of people are, you know, Tommy Kramer, can you move? Do you switch bars? I don't think that you do that because then you you weaken two positions because bars' best position is right guard. Tommy Kramer's the fifth best offensive lineman on the team. There is not anyone better than him. Hunter Bivens not better than him. Eichenberg is not better than him. Hainsey is not ready to supplant him. The kid hasn't taken a snap in a game yet, and I'm not that won't necessarily suddenly make him better, uh, but he's there. Their fifth best offensive lineman. He's their right tackle. He's a very talented kid. I think he's in better condition and stronger. You 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 just have to go with him. Yeah, and I asked Mike Lucci a little bit about that after the game, and he sort of compared Kramer's mental makeup to his own when he was younger, where his maybe struggles to get out of his own head after he makes a mistake, and one mistake becomes another and becomes another, and maybe we saw a little bit of that. Um, but look, if you have what, if he's your fifth best offensive lineman, I mean, let's look over the years about who the fifth best offensive lineman was. Rarely are they... Is he better are, than Colin McGovern? Yeah, I mean, rarely <laughs> are they that talented. Right. And Tommy Kramer is that talented. Yes. He's just... This is a guy that's probably going to start 52 games at Notre Dame. So to expect his first, second, and third starts to be great, I mean... He's not Zach Martin, right? Um, you, you know that's what that's what everyone wants, but that's not what's yeah. going to happen. And Zach, I don't know. I don't ever remember Zach Martin being like that. I, I mean, he I think good, I, he, he was, was against Ryan Kerrigan. Okay, so there you go. So, okay, right. right. So there yeah. you go. You know, I think what I would like to see is Kramer's body language be a little bit better. Like you know, like you said that he gets in his own head. I'd like to see him carry himself with a little bit more confidence or react better when he does get beat. But He's a young kid, yeah. you know, trying to fit in on an offensive line that is Both that is very experienced, right? And, yeah, yeah. Because didn't we talk last week about what's worse than no confidence, fake confidence? Yeah. I think right. Tommy Kramer has to go out on Saturday and earn the right to be confident. Yeah. And as soon as that he has some good things happen to him, then he can fall back on that. And that's where multiple tight ends will help. That's where yeah. you know we saw split backs, you know, to the shotgun yeah, snap to Wimbush. That can that can help. Yeah, there will be occasions where you have to protect Kramer a little bit, but he's clearly of all the guys you know in competing for the fifth best uh, lineman. He, he's the best run blocker by far. And according to Scout.com, he is the highest rated offensive lineman on the team, so should be pretty good shape. About Hedequin, oh, 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 recruiting. Yes, recruiting. Oh, okay. 
So let's not give up on him yet. He hasn't played, right? <laughs> he literally hasn't played. He's the 37th ranked player in the country when he came out, and we're killing him because Dalen Hayes went around him at a scrimmage that nobody cared about. Yeah. <laughs> well, certainly, certainly the defensive end, Dalen Hayes, and a whole bunch of other people. I mean, Julian O'Quarr, you know, we talked about, I wrote about this morning, Tim, we talked about when we went to Culver that first day, it's like, man, he can't handle a tackle head up. Well, that's true. <laughs> But if you give him space and you give him a path to the quarterback, he can, he he's going to get go. there. Man, he does. He comes hard. Yeah. They're going to get him in there in some, you know, obvious pass rushing situations, and that that yeah. will be his role. That's good. That's that, a good role. That was something that we saw at Culver, where they had Hay- Dalen Hayes and Julian O'Quarr out there at the same time, and sort of third and long type stuff. I mean, just you got to find a way to use some of these players situationally, which is not something that the staff has done. A, great job of over the last few years. Uh, so whether that's on defense with somebody like Julian Acquire or offense with somebody like Brock Wright playing in kind of a fullback role. I mean, you've got a, a top 100 prospect who's built like a college junior. Figure out a way to get him on the field. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that set needs work. Um, it was not overly effective. They, they had Trombetti on the field with with. Dalen Hayes and Oquara as well. I don't know how much, but I yeah. saw it at least once. Yeah, I'd like to see just some, you know, some variety in what they're doing. And I think if there if there was something that I came away from Sunday thinking like, oh, that's maybe more interesting. Than I thought it was just this is Chip Long's offense. Uh, and I asked Chip Long about that on Wednesday. And he was just was like, oh, you know, yeah, Brian yeah. Kelly's been great. He's my <laughs> boss. If he says we're gonna go eight wide, we're gonna do that. Um, and I get that. That's what he should say. But based on what we saw on Sunday, Chip Long's running the show. Well, and- he said. I thought he said in the spring, and I was impressed with him in the spring. You know, he's a pretty serious, close to the vest, low key guy. You don't hear his voice on the field much, but. I mean, he said in the spring he talked about his as him being as it being his offense, and he didn't say it like I'm in control now. It's just matter of fact. I was brought in as the offensive coordinator to be the play caller, and of course you want Brian Kelly to have input throughout the week and even on game day. But it's Chip Long's offense, and you were right in in making that observation, Pete. If uh, Cam Smith is starting because he knows the offense better than anybody else, I'm going to go ahead and say that's Chip Long's offense, since everybody else is here for Brian Kelly's <laughs> <Yeah>. offense. <laughs> well, and, and that's, I mean, Cam, Cam Smith is the most point. experienced receiver on the team. It wasn't done in here. In the new offense, too. Yeah, <laughs> so, and, yeah. In the, and in the new offense. So, it, you know, when you think of it in those terms, it makes sense that, you know, he understands it. Plus, he's a mature kid, and he's very bright, and... Uh, he didn't pick Notre Dame haphazardly when he decided to leave Arizona State. Uh, special teams, I think one of the things, I, have, I wrote a little bit about this on Friday, and I want to write out more in this week. The the fact that you're you're seeing more frontline guys involved in that that I think that we saw last year. I kind of want to go back and watch. I, I can't believe I'm saying this. I kind of want to go, go back and watch kickoff coverage teams from but, tape last year. By the year. time they started playing games, it, you were getting down to the freshmen again that you don't want out there last yeah. year. Yeah. I think in this, that's why I say in August we would see guys like Anawalu out there, but then they weren't using him. As yeah, well. so know, Martini, and, Tranquil, and Crawford, Crawford, uh, Julian Love uh, is a starting gunner. I really like that a yeah. lot. Um, need, that's a great thing, too, because you need good players at, the, at that spot. It looks yeah. like a younger guy, Jen Markeith, is... Probably going to displace uh, uh, Coromoa. Right, and then we we saw him, uh, Coromoa was last week. That was the f- only reason we mentioned he might play this year is he was on the starting kickoff coverage team. But a few days later, it's Jen Markeith, and uh, 
he's a, I mean, he he has a physical presence. I think that Cormo doesn't quite have yet. Well, and he's yeah, a, he's so an older the, freshman, and Cormo yeah. is a younger freshman. And I think, I mean, they're probably closer to two years apart in age than they are Clay, one year. Clay pulls out there because he's the best at it. Uh, Tony Jones is a frontline guy out there. That's Dexter he, Williams. Dexter Williams. So that's um, I know you've spoken to uh, staff members in the past that they they kind of wish they could have more defensive players out there. Uh, turns out it didn't work that way because you've got two running backs and one yeah. receiver. <laughs> yeah. and it's like when we had access to the assistants last week, um, Polling talked a lot about sort of what he'd picked up along the way. Like when he was at Texas A&M, felt like there was more speed on kickoff return teams coming at them, so they needed to use frontline guys on defense for that. And I think he's sort of fine-tuned his approach to like, here's where you need to play a starter and it makes sense. Here's where the utility of that is actually quite a bit lower, so take a break. Um, but it, it's, it certainly seems like you should, right? Because yeah, that that was the, one yeah. of the places where it was like this makes more sense to do it. Is punt not because everybody punts well now? Um, I, by that I mean the punt returns are way less than they used to be. It's just most punts are fair. Caught. I think you need to have like two frontline guys on punt that's coverage. Your yeah. gunners, yeah, and the rest because the rest of it is just. Stay in your lane. Yeah, just run in a straight line. Um, so that I don't, I. There are definitely some freshmen who can help. We asked about Jeremiah Wusukormo last week, and his and Pullian's response was like, "If we can't find a way to get him involved in more than one special teams unit, it doesn't make any sense to play him because if you just look at defensively, who's closer to getting on the field, Jordan Genmarkeith at a position where you don't know what the heck's going on." Or Jeremiah Wusu Karamo at a position where you know you have a really high end frontline guy and a really good backup too. It doesn't uh, make sense because we saw Cor- because we saw Wusu Karamo out there. I asked Clark Lee about him and his role on special teams. He said, "Yeah, if if he gets out there, we have to find a way to keep him with the varsity, and it's a challenge because he will not be a varsity linebacker this year. He wow. just, he's swimming. No, it's just mental. I it's, wonder it's what it's all it... swimming. So it's an average, something I never really thought about. If it's a total, just what the guy can only do special teams. You, you still are trying to be with the varsity and, and work in drills and yeah. stuff like that. Now go to the scout team. Yeah. They're trying to figure out a way to do it. I wonder what happens if something happens to the tranquil or blow because you got to have a backup. You got to you know. I think it's Reagan. And then they would try I, to get I, they would I, try I, to get him ready. No, then you would try to get him ready. Like you would get Cormor ready because there's been an injury. Does that make sense? He's going to go to scout team until there's an injury. Well, I, I, I don't know. This is a really yeah. We're going to hypothetical we're here. Down right here a little you bit. Know, yeah. Drew Tranquil and Asmarvola both got hurt tomorrow. Maybe they move Grim Martini. Yeah, yeah that, that's probably good. Would. And you know, I want to in our instant analysis, I brought up Khalid Kareem, and maybe they can shift him inside. You know, that that's premature. The kid's just finding, having a little bit of success at strong side end, and I want to make him a three technique. Surprised you didn't move him to right yeah. tackle to replace Tommy Kramer. <laughs> that's Clayton. You know, but, but, you know, that I mean, that's just a really positive side. Really glad to hear that, because that's a big body. It's somebody that we all thought very highly of um, coming out of high school, and it's it's progress. We should probably name the freshmen Brian Kelly said are going to play. Um, he omitted Isaiah Robertson, but I think he doesn't think of no, mid-year guys. I don't, I don't either. And Isaiah He's Roberts, been here. Yeah, right. Isaiah Robertson was on the first team kickoff coverage also. But he mentioned mm-hmm. Cole Komet. Um, you had him verify Brock Wright. Yeah, I mean, I know right. that was obvious, yeah, but he didn't he say didn't his say name. It. So Michael Young was mentioned. Yeah. Um, Mark Keith was also. He didn't mention yeah, him. There was the two tight ends. Volkomat, Myron Tiger Vilosa, and Heinish, which yeah. it's like I think if there was a red flag coming out of camp, 
how many teams have their number three and number four defensive tackles be effective against the run and their true freshmen? Not many. I mean, neither of these guys are Dexter Lawrence. Well, I was going to say, and not to bring up recruiting rankings because it's, it doesn't matter once they're on campus, but it's also you didn't bring in the two best defensive tackles in the country that are your backups here. It's not. It's right. not. It's to it in day. Yeah, you know, it's guys that can be good football yeah. players, but you wouldn't think they'd be there in their. And where would they be if they hadn't gotten Tiger Bailoa late in the recruiting process? I mean, that was really late in the recruiting process. But uh, finishing up or getting back to special teams, Justin Yoon obviously is he's not locked in. I mean, we saw him struggle uh, last Saturday, and um, and he struggled again on Sunday. Now it was a fifty-four yarder and a. A 54 yeah, yarder 54 and a 49 yarder, and I saw Brian Kelly talking to Van Gorder, the holder, after the missed 49 yarder. So I don't know if there was anything to that. Did you see anything? I, there? No, I just saw yeah. him talking to Van Gorder. And then, uh, you know, in, in my uh, typical fashion, I get frustrated with Tyler Newsom on his first punt because it was a little fluttering wobbler. Uh, but after that, he was re- he was really really good, including a 58 yarder that was down at the one. Yeah, I. Uh, that was another thing that Pullian talked about last week. Is just like I would rather have a thirty-seven yarder that's fair caught or zero Absolutely. return than a fifty-five yard crushed down the middle because it's like you go cover it. Right, it's hard yeah. to do. But when they have field position, there's no reason why he can't give them, you know, distance and yeah. height, and that's what he did on that fifty-eight yarder. Yeah, he's uh, that. I I am. I don't know, I get this feeling that Newsom's going to have a really good year and Justin Yoon's not. I'm with you, actually. I'm, I'm a little you know, Justin wary Yoon, of Justin Yoon right now. Yoon has had two very good years, obviously. He has had two subpar Septembers, too. He missed four kicks last September, mm-hmm. and he missed at least four, mm-hmm. if not five. Well, he missed four kicks both Septembers, actually. Yeah. And All I'm right. talking extra points, too. But those are, those are costly when you're playing right. close games. He is not locked in. We saw Chris Fink. Returning punts yesterday. Since, since the Miami game, he has been the lead punt returner in every yeah. practice and every game. Uh, I think they're taking maybe CJ Sanders has a little bit of the yips from that very. He had some. He had actually more than one more than the Miami fumble. He had inability to kind of wave off his own players against Michigan State for a fumble, bounced off Boykin. There was another one that bounced off. Was it twice in Miami game? He hasn't been out there since. Um, and Fink's good at it. And Sanders is the kick returner. So it's I think right. it's, I think you don't have to overload CJ Sanders if Fink can return. Plus. No, and you know in terms of CJ Sanders, the receiver and Michael Young, I mean they're similar type players. I think you're going to see a lot of bubble screen type stuff to them um, because they can hide behind people and explode out of that. And Hopefully I, not the goal line, the own goal line. <laughs> <laughs> what? No, that's <laughs> that, a, that's the back. No, of the that's a bad one. That was a, you know I forgot to include that in my story this morning. That that decision by Wimbush to throw that. That little out to Young on the goal line uh, in a crowd. The was, wrong goal line, yeah. not your goal line. <laughs> no, no, yeah, yeah. on not, his not going own in, goal not line, going right, in. exactly. But by and large, Wimbush, I mean, his accuracy has been really, really good. Yeah, no question. All right, well, that's it for segment one, Irish Illustrated Insider. We'll come back to segment two. We've got a bunch of questions from our readers and Twitter next. Welcome back to Irish Illustrated Insider segment two. Questions for Twitter and our readers. We've got three Twitter questions we're going to get to, and this was this is a sort of amalgamation of eight questions about Kevin Stefferson that I got. <laughs> By far the most popular topic right now, and people want to know more likely he gets it together, sort of dials in and contributes this year, or he just bolts and, and leaves. Certainly more likely the latter. Um, it's relevant that he is still there. 
after a August of scout team duties. Um, he didn't get off the bench yesterday at the scrimmage, and I mean that literally and figuratively. He actually sat on the bench next to C.J. Holmes, who's injured for the entire first and second half. Um, clearly, he will not be playing against Temple. I would assume he's not in the plans early on. And as Pete has written many times, this is a, you know, or we've all written many times, but you mentioned it recently. It, this one's not just, hey, uh, you're not doing a couple things right, so I'm going to make you the 12th string receiver that never gets to do anything. There's obviously an issue with Kevin Stepperson. And, yeah, he wasn't yeah. late for a meeting. Right, right. It's, it's a major issue. And But if you're asking me, is he going to, is it more likely, it's certainly more likely that he isn't there next year, than it, but it's a good sign again that he has stuck it out through a month of complete and utter dis... He's just away from the team. He shows up and he wears an orange beanie. Yeah, and I, I think this will all be clarified by this week when, when we talk to... Well, I mean, I, 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 yeah. I, I, from the standpoint that it, we will address it thoroughly on Thursday. Um, it didn't... Uh, of all the things to talk about yesterday, it didn't... It, it, I know everybody cares, and I get that. I understand that. He was we a, should have addressed it, but he's so far out of our minds for a guy that's going to play against Temple that it wasn't right, addressed. Right, right, Because right, he's right. not going to play exactly. against Temple. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that that's part of the reason. But it, we will have clarification. We will address it. Maybe we won't have total clarification. Right. But it will be addressed before this week is out, and we'll, we'll be able to have, we'll have a better answer for everybody on Thursday. For, um, I mean, many reasons. One of them is classes start tomorrow. So if he's a student at Notre Dame for the fall semester, right. that makes leaving hard even yeah. <laughs> less and, likely. And not yeah. smart. And, 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 and not really that smart. I mean, <laughs> no. Now, guys, trans, let's not say because a guy has enrolled at Notre Dame in, in August, he's not going to transfer. Never. <laughs> but it, obviously, it means he's sticking it out a little yeah. bit. All right, next question from Twitter. Matt Kistler wants to know, how do you see the linebacker playing time being divided up among particularly Tavon Coney and Asmar Bilal? Um, it's a good question. I don't know that we have the answer to that, but I think that you can. I think we can all feel pretty comfortable that there's a three-man. There are three capable linebackers at those two uh, at the buck and the mic, and I think um, you know Coney has to get on the field. Morgan has to come off the field sometimes. Certain so does Martini as well. And I think uh, you know Coney probably slides over to the Mike linebacker position, um, shares the buck with uh, with Martini. I'm not answering the question because I don't know exactly how the playing time will, will break down, but certainly, I mean, Tavon Coney is like a starter coming off the bench for them. Yeah. And I think that they feel pretty comfortable with all three of those. He got first team reps yesterday and that he came in the second series. The first team was in there for Martini. Um, I talked to Clark Lee. Kind of nice, it worked out well. There was no one else talking to Clark Lee during media day, so we had a good sit down. And he said that Asmar Bilal and Tavon Coney went the entire spring without showing what they're capable of. They were not graded anywhere near the starters, and he said they have shot up the charts in the summer. Um, he mentioned Coney is because the strength and conditioning took, and I think if you've been on Twitter at all, there's been pictures of Tavon. I don't know. He doesn't look like he's in very good shape. <laughs> there's been pictures of Tavon <laughs> Coney uh, showing off that new physique. And with um, with Asmar Bilal, it was understanding a brand-new position, the rover position. So I don't know how much Bilal gets on for Tranquil in terms of Go take a couple series because there's, you know, Tranquil's part of different packages. And mm-hmm. Tranquil's out there in the nickel often, too. I, I just trying to get drilled down a little bit, like, who comes off the field in the nickel. And Clark Lee was just telling me, it's situational. I can't just tell you there, to take off. Yeah, because there or, was, you know. I know there was a play yesterday where Tranquil did come off the field in nickel. Now, whether that's the case all the time, 
I mean, that's. I'm sure it's not because you want tranquil coming off the edge, right? Too. I think so too. So uh, those two will play a lot, and then I don't think you'll see a whole lot of Jameer Jones, right? No, uh, I mean, I, I think that Kayvon Coney is your backup Mike and your backup Buck, and let's look at it just from a number perspective. Let's say Notre Dame's defense faced 80 snaps a game. We think Morgan and Martini would probably be out there for 60 of them. Well, if Coney's your backup, that means he's got to take 60 snaps between the two positions. So it really is sort of three guys for two positions. And Tavon Coney will get a lot of work, which I think, based on some of the things he showed yesterday, he's warranted that. Yeah. Um, he's, uh, he's in good shape. Coach Lee also said that um, when he was kind of listing their strengths, he said, you know, Martini is more athletic than Coney. He can really do some things against the pass. He's, and then he said Martini has to work a little bit on his... Uh, kind of ability to force the you know force the edge on the mm-hmm. run where he kind of intimated that Tavon Coney is very good at that. Our final Twitter question is from Alex and he wants to know how high is the ceiling on Michael Young and is there a player he reminds you of from Notre Dame? I think the ceiling's really really high. I tend to uh, concur with O'Malley on uh, Mike Miller um, that that type of player that type of explosiveness. He had a play yesterday where he, where he caught an Could out. Could you explain who Mike Miller is for people who don't know? Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Mike Miller, what years did he play? 91 to, to 94. <laughs> okay. uh, he was supposed Thank to replace you. Rocket in terms of being Rocket. He was, I mean, he, he was, was very talented. He was very talented, really, really explosive, and did some good things. He ran into a lot of trouble. Yeah, Michael Young is off not the off the field like Mike Miller. We don't, not that, that we are aware be, of. Certainly it would be difficult. Not. So yeah, but. Uh, no, I mean, I think the ceiling is really high with him, and he's going to play right away. I started to. There was a play yesterday where he caught an out um, you know, by the sideline and tried to get around a clump of bodies to the sideline, and, 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 and going straight up field was the right move for him. And I think we've seen a lot of that in, in, in the practices that, that we've observed. But, um, I, I mean, I, I don't know how high to put it. I think he's, a, as Pete said, he's freaking lightning, and he's a really, really explosive player. And everything that we've seen... He's the quickest guy off the snap of anybody among the receivers. I'm intrigued to see what he could do this year because, you know, I said last week that he'll start next year. I think he's that good. Um, you know, without Stefferson out there, without really any basis for thinking Freddie Canteen will be a big playmaker, I mean, you need another guy. I feel like he will play more and more. Does that make sense as the season progresses? Yeah. A taste early. This is – Michael Young reminds me of a reverse Sean Crawford. That's who he reminds me of. He's so sudden and just has uh, the ability to get through first, second, and third gear so fast um, that there's just a a real explosive, dynamic aspect to his game that is, I think, unlike the rest of the receivers on the team. And he's physical for his size. He's small. Another. Yeah, another guy. Just like Sean Crawford. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I think, interesting point, you said first, second, third gear. I think... Michael Young's first gear is faster than C.J. Sanders' first gear. Once you get into second and third, I think they're comparable. Right. Uh, but that first gear, that that first step, that quick start, I think... And catches the ball way better than Sanders. Yes. Yes. I mean, there's yeah. a natural, like, get your, you know, flip your hands around. Yeah. Like, he looks like a receiver catching the ball opposed to the ball getting into his body. Right. I think you got to get Sanders the ball. I think Young can go get the ball. Yeah, you got to find. You know, CJ Sanders. Can, we we wrote him off a little too much. CJ Sanders, I think. You I can agree. Find a way to get the guy the ball, and he will make people. He made Sean Crawford miss yesterday. He made Badly. Sean Crawford look real bad. Actually, bad. I hadn't yeah. seen that yet. 
Um, but I agree with Pete. It's not you're not getting CJ Sanders the ball down the post that easily either in coverage. So I think yeah, I, I like Michael, we all like Michael Young a lot. It's just there's a lot of bodies that can play a little bit of football out there. And if there's one thing, if we're all rooting for two running backs and two tight ends and all that, there's not a lot of wide receivers that can be out there. So it's gonna be the wide receivers are gonna lose some playing time to the new offense, in my opinion. Uh, question from Kelly Era. Does this defense have a guy with double-digit sack potential? Potential? Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen for Dalen Hayes. I mean, I, I'm as high on Dalen Hayes as I've ever been right now. Um, I, I think he had a very good practice, had a good blue and gold game, has had good practices before that. But I think it's important to keep in mind, okay, double-digit sacks. What does that mean? It's happened five times in Notre Dame history right. since they started tracking sacks in the mid-'80s. And only two have had more than ten and a half in Notre Dame history. So, and you're talking about Justin Tuck and Stefan Tuitt. So, is sophomore Dalen Hayes going to be at the level of sophomore Stefan Tuitt and junior Justin Tuck? No. Uh, and nationally, how rare is it to get ten sacks as a sophomore? Last year, three sophomores did it. One was Arden Key at LSU, and the other two played for Kansas and Louisiana Tech. So, it doesn't really count. And the year before that, only three sophomores did it, and it was Barnett from Texas, Miles Garrett from AM, and uh, I think Haynes from Ole Miss. So basically, if you do it, you're a first or second round pick. That's how good Dalen Hayes would have to be this year. I, I don't see that happening. Um, so And that's fine, but if he can be a real pass rusher and take up two guys and maybe get you seven sacks, that would be a huge improvement. These are the NFL careers of the five people that have had 10 sacks at Notre Dame. Justin Tuck is one of the best defensive linemen of the new millennium. Stephon Tuitt is one of the best young defensive linemen in the league. Victor Abiyamiri played four years in the league. Burt Berry played, what, 15 and is a Super Bowl yeah. champion. And Mike Gann from 1984 wow. played nine years in the NFL. Well, let so me, 10 sacks yeah. is a yeah. good job. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you asked me to clarify who Mike Miller was. Uh, there's a guy named Ross Brown that played from 73 to 77, yeah. and they did not keep sure. sack this totals then. They kept yeah. ta- uh, t- tackles for loss, and I believe he had 77 yeah. in his yeah, career. So he, clear, he clearly had 10 sacks. But... Still, your point's well taken. Probably and multiple I, years. Yeah, and I do think this is a situation where there are going to be multiple guys with five, six, seven sacks. Or the the question is about potential for that. And I think you do have a handful of guys. I think I think Julian Okwara is one of those guys. He's more likely to do it next year and the year after than now. But uh, we're seeing some explosiveness off the edge. Uh, Are Okundiji is a, a guy that, if he gets on the field, I think he has the ability to get after the quarterback. I thought, I'll circle back to Hayes, but the interesting thing said yesterday by Kelly was that Matt Bayless's favorite player was Adi Ogundiji yeah. for the strides he made in the weight room this year. That's great to hear for Notre Dame fans in the future. That's uh, He looks good. Yeah, I mean, he I feel like it matches what we've seen, certainly. Yeah. Dalen Hayes, though, I do think he's in that 7-8 sack. He can get that 7-8 sack range. It's just hard to actually get... The recorded sack. Does that? I mean, that sounds weird to say that. Well, but and a guy like Jay Hayes, who isn't a great sack guy, will get sacks right, because of what right. the other guys are doing. Exactly. It's so. I guess if you're looking for ten sacks off the edge, where Stephon Tuitt was going out there and getting sacks in 2012, I don't think you're. Gonna, I don't think Dalen Hazel will look quite like that. But I do think Dalen Hazel will provide a lot of pressure. 
I'm more interested than do, does Notre Dame have a guy who can just beat an offensive tackle one-on-one fairly consistently? According to Elston, they have two, in Dalen Hayes and Julian Aquara. So that's what we need to see, and that would be a huge benefit on third down. Okay. That he literally third. mentioned that they will beat people one-on-one. And Pro- yeah, I mean, pro- promising any more than that, we're, it's a stab in the, the dark here. Irish doob. How relative is last year in comparison to the current team in terms of your projections for this season? I think it's a great question as it pertains to the defense because I don't think that we can to make comparisons to last year's defense and it, you know your personnel is your personnel but we're seeing personnel playing better than they did last year so I think the point is taken I don't know that it applies as much to the offensive side of the ball I think we see 11 guys playing together or close to that I think we see linebackers quickly making run fits we see defensive linemen battling up front at the very least holding the point of attack unless Quentin Nelson is is plowing somebody. <laughs> he does that a lot. He does that. He's really going to do that a lot this year. And, of course, Nordin will face some interior offensive linemen will be capable of doing the same thing, and Jerry Tiller will have his moments where he does get pushed pushed off the ball. But I, the, the, the point, I think, is probably in reference to the defense, and it is very difficult because so much – has changed for the positive on the defensive side of the ball. I yeah. Also, defensive tackle is not really that much better than it was last year. Nor is safety. So those two things haven't changed. And I think that's that's something maybe has less to do about how last year went and more about the personnel that's still on right. the team. Right. Um. You know, somebody just tweeted a question for the podcast. Like, do you think Notre Dame has? Like could be a dark horse playoff contender. I think absolutely not no. because their defensive tackle and safety positions just aren't where they need to be to be a dark horse playoff contender. I think offensively, yeah, uh, for sure. I think their their linebackers could be that good. Um, but straight up the gut of your defense, I, I just don't think they have the horses to to make that kind of. I would run. rather. I mean, I think anybody that knows football, you'd rather be talking about defense being the strength, and and you know, if you flipped where the where the offense and defense are, you'd you'd I'd feel more secure if the defense was the one that that we're confident in. To uh, put a bow on that, but also a little positive spin, Pete Sampson checked out uh, the Brian Van Gorder era, era <laughs> in <laughs> Auburn, and just brief. They were eight and five. Year before he got there, they were three and nine. The year he was there, and they were twelve and two. The year he left, so things do improve. Um, it's not a direct correlation, but I don't want to. I, the four and eight thing, I am completely throwing out four and eight because they should not have been four and eight last year. And I don't mean that means they were close to winning games. I mean they were eight and four, nine and three teams. Oh, no, I was told coached down to four and eight. I was told yesterday <laughs> that they were four plays away from being eight and four, Jeez. and I said, yeah, mixed <laughs> in with the four hundred other bad plays. Yeah, when I say they should have been four and eight, I mean everybody in the world knows they did not have four and eight talent, right? Everyone can agree they were not a four and eight football team. They were yes. coached down to four and eight. So if you think they're an eight and four team now, can they be coached up to nine and three or ten and two? If they're not going to get coached down, I promise you. Talk to this new staff; they will not be coached down to a losing record this year like that. No, it's no. just not a thing. It happened, it, but I mean, we were laughing, but it happened. I know it seemed it, ludicrous it, last year, yeah. but it seems even more ludicrous it seems now. Impossible, but I don't want to reference four and eight because Pete has said a hundred times it's an artificially low ceiling. It doesn't. You're, if you're eight and four, you didn't improve by a hundred percent. You just found your water. It's <laughs> you were just terrible yeah. and then became average. So. 4-8, nothing to do with it anymore because they are not a 4-8 program. 
Golden by name, do you see the QB position being the biggest hurdle in Indy hitting the 9-10 to 10 win mark versus any other position group? No, no, definitely not. Uh, I think that defensive tackle and safety are yeah. the biggest hurdles to, to get to 9 or 10 wins. I, I think quarterback will be fine. I'm curious to see how Brandon Wimbush is used or not used, protected, asked to go out and win a game. Um, this is probably, why don't we just throw yeah, the, next the next question, question. into Jay Teffel one wants to know, do you expect Wimbush in his first year to be more like 2012 Golson or 2015 Kaiser? More and more of a game manager, the other had more responsibilities in the offense. And I, you know, I went back and was like, okay, well, what were the stats? I was surprised Golson attempted as many passes as he did in 2012, 318 versus Kaiser's 335. That doesn't seem like that big of a difference, even if because Golson missed a game uh, with right. the, with the concussion. Kaiser obviously didn't play against Texas yeah. until the very end. Um, so. I, you know they were they were maybe more similar statistically than they were sort of eye test because um, Kaiser definitely had to win games at, at at moments and you know nearly did at Stanford that's the one that really comes to mind the most for me um, but in the red zone I think this is where I, I'm most curious to see how effective Wimbush is because Golson is first year starting he was 15 of 46. Six touchdowns, three interceptions in the red zone. 32% completion 15 percent. of 46. Yeah. Yikes. Kaiser in the red zone was 17 of 40 uh, for 150 yards, nine TDs, Couple fumbles. five interceptions. Yeah, fumble against yeah. yeah. Now, can Wimbush be more effective as a passer in the red zone than that? Kaiser ran history, a lot of scores. History would say no, um, but I do think that Wimbush is going to be a more effective rushing threat in the red zone than Kaiser was, and Kaiser was really effective. I, I look at, I mean, actually, when you say 318 passes, I was kind of surprised at that number. Yeah, me um, too. I, I didn't, I get, you know, I didn't realize or remember that he threw that much. I, I just, I don't think game manager is what they're going to do with Brandon Wimbush. He's too you know, dynamic of a runner. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think that they have a lot of confidence in him, his maturity, his intelligence. I don't think that they're going into this season saying game manager. Having said that, Chip Long wants to run more. He wants to use more tight ends. He, he, he wants a power running game, and he has a veteran offensive line. So you let that play itself out. But I don't think game manager really comes into play with with Wimbush yeah, this year. Yeah, I think game manager, I think of when you're passing, you're protecting yeah, him. And they're I mean, not going to protect him as a passer. Yeah. Running the ball is going to Tommy Reese, right. or, you know, I mean... It's, Running the ball isn't protecting him. It's smart. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a good thing to do. You want to, you want to. I mean, you want to limit his runs certainly over the course of, you know, thirteen games. But uh, game manager, I don't think is anything that I don't think that's a phrase we'll be associating with Wimbush this year. But he's probably not going to be asked to make four reads on dropbacks either. I think it's run pass option and he takes shots. Well, that I, to be managed. It's interesting you say that because Greg Gabriel, who uh, does such a great job with our. Uh, NFL draft analysis. He talked about why he liked Kaiser so much going into the draft last year because he was asked to do, or he was capable of doing full field reads. I don't think Wimbush would do that. I don't know that for sure, but I don't think he'll be asked to do that, especially this year. And that that makes it easier for you not to just look at him as a game manager. Yeah, no question. All right, last question. UND 83, after all the coaching changes... Where do you see Brian Kelly impacting success or failure of this team most? I think that's a really good question. I I, I, I think that we're 
Brian Kelly is going to be the kind of coach that he probably should have been. We, you know, last year was, I mean, I just don't get that. That was negligence. I've used that term in the past and I will stick to it. And he said it a dozen times. I think he trusts his assistant assistants more, even though they're, they weren't his guys. I certainly he has greater trust in Mike Elko going out there and running the defense and fundamentals and tackling better and working together as 11, I think he'll be more patient, even though I don't think that that's necessarily his personality. And I think that he's a guy that's going to offer more positive input to his players. You mix that with a coaching staff that we all feel good about and one that I think he can trust. I think you're going to have a better head coach if you start, if you add all those things together this year. He's he's certainly making the, the main decisions, right? Third and five at your own goal or back back of the goal line against Georgia. Look, man, look, Chip, this isn't what we want. Well, we sure. got to get out of here. We got to pump this Do out you here. think he should? Yes, that's what I think. Do you he think should he do. should? I, be? I think Chip Long will be the man. Well, okay, here's the play I'm going to call to get us out of this. You know, or, or just keep us safe. I think I think the major overview strategy on offense, at least, I hope not on defense, on offense at least during the game, <laughs> is Brian Kelly is still making those calls. I don't know. I mean, I just think he tells him. I don't think he's telling mm-hmm. the play. I think he's telling we. It's, you know well, it's, it's the head coach. Working, let's get out of here. It's the head coach's job to to make the decisions on situations. Yeah, that's what I mean on situations. He's not. That's gonna, fine. Yeah, I think. Right. Yeah, yeah I agree. No, I think yeah. it's a good thing. I was I was thinking that's what he'll do. I think Chip Long, and then Chip Long has all the plays for that that he likes. Yeah, yeah. That uh, I, I think if he can stay out of the you know we're scrapping this game plan at the last minute like scenario. Yeah, State. I mean just right. don't. Don't fall into that trap. I do, I do think the sort of positivity will be interesting because that seems like he's creating good habits for himself with that. Um, whereas last season it felt like kind of awkward and forced, like the swaying right. on the sidelines for kickoffs and stuff. Oh like, God, he was he was trying to <laughs> oh, trying too hard. Yeah. Now I just feel like he's kind of found a new equilibrium. Well, they, last year I mean it reached a point of desperation. And yeah, that's that's what happens. Uh, I don't think they'll reach the point of desperation this year. I don't think the record will ever be at that point. They won't be one and three. Uh, but yeah, it was forced last year. He's going against his natural personality, and, and I agree, Pete, that he's he's giving that a lot of test runs uh, through the spring and now. I mean, and so far, I think that it looks good. I mean, even the way that he talks about. Players, I don't know if that's changed a whole lot, and obviously they haven't lost a game. And I think where Brian Kelly really runs into issues with player commentary is Saturday nights after a loss, um, not Tuesday afternoons in August. But uh, I, you know, he talked a little bit the way he talked about Chase Claypool on Sunday. I thought was healthy in the sense of like he was good today. We've been challenging him. We want more out of this guy. He wants that, it more. Yeah, that's not ripping a guy no, that's no, just like we're trying to, we're trying to encourage and get more out of it and you guys aren't stupid you know that there's a lot more to get out um so i i think that that's when we'll know we'll know more like after they lose to somebody and you know if brian <laughs> kelly goes off on a player maybe yeah it's not much has changed but i i do think that he just like has a comfort in his new skin i think that'd be the best way i could put that and, and a comfort with his staff. And I think yeah. a lot of that is a complete trust in Mike Elko, knowing that Mike Elko is going to do the right things for his defense. It was interesting talking to Brian Polian about Brian Kelly, and I, I wish I had a chance to ask Elko the same question. It's like, how is Kelly different than the guy you thought 
you were signing up to work for. And Pauline said he's like, he's a lot more like open to ideas and a lot more, uh, you know, happy with candor in staff meetings, which I think is really important. Do you think that part's changed? I do think that's changed because that was something we We sort of heard on the background that the, the knock on BK as a, as a CEO was like, he had his guys and you had to watch what you said. If it was a critique of one of those guys, I don't think that's the case anymore. He doesn't really have as many guys. Um, so maybe that opens the floor, but the fact I, I do think any good CEO has to encourage candor in staff meetings where if you see something, you are able to say it and speak up and not worry about like, God, did you hear what? Polian said about the linebacker play, Clark, you must be pissed off about that. Like, that's not healthy. So I, if that's actually true, I, I think that's a positive. Yeah, well, Elston's the last man standing from the originals, yeah. and he stands, you know. Been around forever. Been around forever. And, and I didn't, when that's I mentioned I want to, you know, I, I think of overseeing of the offense during the game, it, I want the head coach to be involved when he Mike Elko runs everything, but... If Brian Kelly's in a game and they feel going into the Georgia game that they can't contain a certain aspect of Georgia defensively, then or that offensively they can't breach Georgia in some certain way, but then he finds out during the game he can, you can certainly tell Mike Elko, look, you can tweak this a little bit because I know we came in thinking we're scoring 24, but we're scoring 34 in this game. Of course, so you that want is, that. That's what, if he's not doing that, what is he there for? You I want mean, that I, input. And I'm not saying he's not. I mean, obviously Brian Kelly... It's not like just turn, taking, turning over everything to his coordinators, but like people think he is. But as long as you're not saying, okay, Mike, we need to change this, and this is how you're going to change it, that's, that's what you don't want when you're trusting your coordinators. You have to say, look, this has to change. We have, we're going to change this because it's going differently than I thought it was going to go. Yeah, I like big picture management, yeah. great. Micromanage it, not no, great. Right. So I, th- I think that's a dynamic that uh, he seems to have struck at least from the outside perspective with his new staff. So till it's 10, 10 to seven against George. Yeah. Out the window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Somebody throw it. <laughs> well, that's it for this week's Irish <laughs> illustrated insider. We'll be back Monday, August 28th. At that point, I think we're going to have access to Brian Kelly, a 10 period practice viewing on Thursday of this week. And so, yeah, we'll be back on Monday. That's our first early game week podcast, which is kind of hard to, for me to get my head around. The offseason seems like it drags on forever until you get the game week. We're like, holy crap! Uh, they're going to play on Saturday. <laughs> it's simple. Yes. <laughs> so, we will be back Monday, August 28th for our next Irish Illustrated podcast. Until then, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, I'm Pete Sampson. Thanks, folks. Thanks, folks.